so much for your time i know you're a busy man um so looking forward to talking to you you have been following your work for ages what have you been up to i've been uh living the covid life trying to trying to get by with the uh the online sort of side of things now which has been a big transition for a lot of people so uh luckily enough i've been already sort of involved with it but it's definitely taken on a lot more volume of my uh, of my work day these days compared to the fact that i can't work with clients in person because gyms have been closed and uh, it's been this kind of seesaw yo-yo battle for uh, the last nine or ten months for us here in Toronto. So uh, it's it's definitely an adjustment period and uh, it's going okay on my side but uh, I know there's a lot of trainers out there who could definitely use a little bit of help and a lot of gyms are having to shut down and whatnot so it's a pretty serious situation out here. So that's really the, the storm I've been weathering out here and um, working with uh, students as well virtually because I'm, uh, I'm teaching classes that way. And um, yeah, just online coaching, online uh, virtual teaching, and that's basically it. Other than my writing, so it's been uh, it's been interesting, it's been tumultuous, and I've been uh, I've been sort of trying to rise to the occasion here. What was your the hardest battle you had, let's say, for the first lockdown or generally uh, in the COVID era? What did you find like hardest? Um, I would say, well, honestly, I welcomed quite a few aspects of it just because of the fact that you get the chance to sleep in a little bit later, <laughs> and you get more rest and all that sort of thing. Amen, uh, I got brother. to focus on training as well for myself a little bit more than I used to, which is great. But um, I'd say the hardest aspect for sure is just the fact that now you're missing that uh, hands-on sort of uh, uh, working with clients one-on-one. -on -one. Now, people, there are a lot of people out there who prefer online coaching because you can technically handle more volume than you could just doing one-on-one -on -one, there's only so many hours in a day but um, for me I'm sort of grassroots when it comes to I want to be able to see and assess the client I want to be able to give tactile cues I want to be able to you know touch their shoulders and whatnot to help them understand how to do something correctly and so on and so um, for me just being somebody who's always been about the hands-on and for me someone who has had an athletic background of being very hands-on with my, my sports that I played um, it was a real, real hit when somebody said, okay, well, I guess now I'm just stuck with doing programming that you prescribe for me and uh, you, you can't uh, train me one-on-one. -on -one. So it, it's a little bit of a transition. That was tough to deal with, but, um, you know, I'm trying to come along. There's always a way. If, you, if, you're, if you focus on the problem, they're always going to see problems. If you focus on the solution, always going to be a solution. And that was a really good segue about what I wanted to – because I know you're a person that uh, – not a lot of people actually talk about assessments and uh, about hands-on. And I was in a panel uh, a few weeks ago in a European panel regarding the future of personal training and, tra and training generally. And a lot of trainers are actually really like stressing, like, what's, what's going to happen? I was like, it's the same thing what's going to happen when we, we are uh, individuals and we need to assess, we need to put our hands on the client. Where I'm not a big, you know, I have online clients because I have to, but my number one thing is my assessment. What is your, um, 
like, can you write me a program? The most classical, um, most classical line is, oh, can you give me some exercises? How the hell can we do that when we actually have no clue about that person? Exactly. And, you know, when somebody does that or says that, you know, it's your classic thing that someone will say if you're at like an event or a party or a get together or something like that. Oh, so what's the best exercise you do for this? Because you're a trainer, right? It's like, well, listen, if it was that universal, then everybody in the world would be walking around completely jacked, right? Because it would be that easy to really get results and so on. And it's not like that. So, you know, it's very case by case. It's very, very uh, assessment based. It's very specific. And um, that's where Okay, here, let's put it this way. So I'm doing online coaching now. I've always done online coaching, but I only handle right now, I have 20 or 21 clients that I'm working with at one given time. And that is a lot for me. Yes, That's a lot. Because when people will go and say they have 50, 60, 100 clients and so on, it's like there's no possible chance that I could imagine that they're actually handwriting all of these programs or typing them out, saying them, and then doing all the groundwork that's necessary and the intake process that's necessary to really give them a, a product so that they're going to be safe uh, and, and comfortable giving them without any sort of like um, individualized. Yeah, exactly. Individualized. And so for me, you know, my intake process when it comes to uh, working with an online client, it's okay. First, they're going to fill out a questionnaire. And this is mine is pretty light. Let me just put it this way. But this is what I do. I'll give them a questionnaire that they're going to fill out. And so then that's going to give me some info about their lifestyle, about their training history, about their programming that they've done before, injuries, all sorts of stuff like that. I get as much information from them as I can in a succinct little uh, little, uh, questionnaire. And then from there, Once I get that information, I don't start writing the program yet. Then it's like, okay, I've got to see how you lift, how you move, and so on. So I want you to show me your primal movement patterns, get your phone out, videotape them, film them, and send me the files. And then from there, I'm going to actually see uh, if I can give you some feedback and troubleshoot that stuff so we can actually get on the same page technically. And then if I feel like I'm prepared, then I can actually start writing your program based on what I've seen here and based on what your goals are in the questionnaire. So it's a process, right? Exactly. If I'm doing that with somebody who I can't see or touch, you know, imagine how much more thorough it should be if we can see and touch them. Like we, we got to be able to see them from multiple angles. We got to be able to see uh, if their technique is good. We got to we got to be able to look at different exercises. You know, me asking to see a squat, deadlift, overhead press, bench press, push up, row and chin up. You know, that's great. But, you know, in person, I might want to see a cradle walk, a sideline twist, a Spider-Man walk, a squat, a deadlift, two types of squats, all kinds of things like that. So, you know, this is this is sort of the nature of what the industry, in my opinion, should ask uh, for somebody who's, uh, you know, a client looking for individualized programming and the cookie cutter thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to take this Internet program that I just found on whatever.com and I'm going to do it. It might get you some results, but you have to understand that you are, um, like, like you said, you know, if you're not assessing, then you're guessing, right? Exactly. And uh, that, that's something that's um, very important for people, whether they're working with a trainer, whether they are trainers or not, they have to remember that, is that uh, everybody, the, the shoe doesn't fit for every single foot. And it's got to it's gotta be individualized to some extent. And you're going to be uh, entering a little bit more of an area of risk, even if there is merit in the program and it's a a good looking program is it made for you that program can't necessarily determine what your injury history was how old you are what your leverages are like what your uh what your um stress levels are like or the nature of your work what your responsibilities are on a day-to-day basis all that sort of stuff what your real age is what your training age is all those things really really matter and um you know uh, 
a program is only as good as uh, the person who's capable of doing it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a long-winded, convoluted topic that I think that deserves more attention to understand that it is individualized. And that puts a lot of emphasis on uh, the importance for people like myself, people like uh, trainers and so on, who can um, really, really sort of cut away a lot of the, the excess stuff and get right down to what matters for the individual. That's very important because uh, that's a that's the problem everybody gets to when they find a program that said, "Oh, why would I pay you X amount of money when I can get this app and uh, do that easily?" And I said, "Well, you're not paying me for my time or my program; you're paying me for what I know." Generally, uh, one is that, and second of all, is an app cannot assess you. To but to go back to assessment, because someone might say, "Okay, you know, someone just saw me lift." What is your protocol of assessing? Like what we actually say, anthropometry, right? Being able to, first of all, we're not a we're not a perfect machine. I'm I'm against. I I hate the word perfect. Mm -hmm. I worked the past six seven years uh, in cadavers, a couple of years now teaching in cadaver labs, and uh, no, nothing is perfect. Right. Um, maybe on a maybe in a textbook, but not in the real life. And that's the bridge. That's exactly that gap that needs to be bridged, especially if students of any sort are listening to this and they're interested in getting into, um, you know, fitness as some kind of a career path. They have to understand that most of this sort of thing is based on educated guess. Lots of it is based on inference. There's nothing that is written in stone. There's always going to be that client who says that they feel they get more calf development once they put bicep curls into their routine or somebody who's doing hamstring curls and they feel it in their shins. Like there are things that we can't completely explain and that's going to vary from person to person. On that note, when it comes to perfect symmetry and perfect balance and all that sort of stuff like you're referring to, um, there's no such thing. And there's going to be stuff where, okay, your stance might be off just by a little bit for your, for your perfect squat compared to someone else. Someone might be able to squat this way versus squatting this way with their feet. You know, there are so many different things and no two bodies are going to fit the same way. No, no, no two bodies are identical to one another, right? We can get into it about the acetabulae and talk about hip anatomy and all sorts of actual physical construction of the body, or we could just get into it in terms of from an individual basis, what kind of compensations based on whatever it is, uh, this rotation through here or a little bit more extension through here or whatnot, um, is going to promote the best looking and the best quality and the most pain-free movement pattern for someone, um, less injurious stuff, of course. Um, so this uh, is got to, it's really got to be sort of played into, we got to play that into the picture when we're talking about assessing somebody or when we're giving somebody an assessment. And so for me, I take things pretty simply. Um, I like to look at things kind of backwards in mm -hmm. order for me to get the good idea of what I want to sort of strip away and what I want to troubleshoot. So if someone comes to me and says, okay, Lee, I'm a brand new uh, client of yours. I've been lifting a little bit or whatever. I want to start uh, training with you. I say, okay, cool. First session, I'm going to go through your primal movement patterns. I'll look at your squat, your deadlift, your overhead press, given you're familiar with all these movements, right? Squat, deadlift, overhead press, your chin up, your row, your, your um, push-up pattern, uh, bench press even. I'll look at all that stuff, all the different movement patterns, the horizontal and vertical pushes and pulls. Um, when I see that, it doesn't mean that I'm going to load 300 on all those lifts. It means that I'm going to go through maybe a goblet squat pattern. Maybe I'll go through an empty bar overhead press, etc. And I'm going to see what the finished product looks like. And if I see dysfunction in that level where this is the major movement you're having problems with, well, then we start stripping away. Now I'm going to start looking at thoracic.
I'm going to start looking at rotation. I'm going to start looking at your shoulder mobility, your AC joint construction, and whether or not that's blocking your shoulder mobility. And I start stripping away and start seeing whether or not this movement is poor because of the quality of the technique, or is it something else, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, this is sort of the approach that I'll use for all those kinds of movements. If a goblet squat doesn't look that great or so on, then I might start going into single leg work. I might start going into some supine work so that you're doing things from the ground and so on. It'll look at your core, look at your abdominals, look at your glutes and so on, whether or not that stuff is firing. Um, take a look at pelvic balance and so on. So. I kind of like working backwards, and so it doesn't take too much crazy, crazy, elaborate stuff. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't resonate too well with me when people really try to go through this, like, 10 million point assessment with things rather than just taking things very simply and helping them perform well based on their body, their body type, and based on what uh, limitations and restrictions they might have and what needs that they might have as individuals so that we can help them move pain-free and move well and be strong while they do it. That's very important uh, with, with, as you said, limitations, because uh, that's why I find really like, uh, you know, I go to a gym and I see some trainers and like, oh, you need to go a bit lower and squat a bit lower. And you're like, this guy would never get to that point right. structurally. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, and you see that all the time. If it's not as the grass, it doesn't count. And you're like, well, there are some limitations. I, as we said before, we're not going to talk about hip anatomy, but or femur length or there's so many different variables. Yes, you can assess and see if the person is flexible, mobile enough. And that's would be my, my other question. What about flexibility? What about mobility? What's your I've seen it, really nice articles you wrote about it. And what's what's the case? So for flexibility and mobility, I think that um, they're both super duper important, first of all, and I am a huge proponent, especially as a trainer sort of starts getting advanced in years. When they spend a lot of time under the iron and whatnot, those two factors should raise in importance. So they're almost meeting the amount that strength and resistance training and all that stuff sort of has in terms of its, uh, of its level of importance uh, to your programming, to your entire day to day. Um, so sometimes there's a lot of emphasis towards strength training and pushing PRs and getting to the next level of uh, strength and breaking plateaus and whatnot. Well, the very plateaus you have might be because of limitations in your mobility and flexibility. So the thing that we got to really focus on is making sure that we strike a good balance as we spend more time training and lifting, because uh, it's the only way that we're going to, A, not experience the world of chronic pain as time goes on, um, B, get injured acutely, um, and C, you know, last the test of time so we can keep on doing this when we're 80 and 85 years old. So the, my take on mobility and flexibility is that, yes, they're both important. Uh, and secondly, that mobility is going to be a little bit more important than flexibility in the big scheme of things, because mobility is still going to be muscular and contraction based, whereas flexibility is often more passive, right? So when it comes to mobility, we want to think about what muscles we can activate to their nth degree in order to pull our joints into a certain range of motion to achieve that range, right? And um, that's the difference really between flexibility and mobility, whereas I can do a tricep stretch by holding onto my elbow like this and pulling it across my head like that, and I'll stretch right in my, right my triceps like that. Or I can use my biceps and my upper back and traps to pull my elbow to the same place without using any sort of assistance. And exactly. those muscles pulling me into that range of motion creates the same level of uh, joint angle and the same level of stretch 
to my triceps. So mobility is going to be more important because it's making your body by way of action actually move your body and move your joints around. So we want that capability as we get older. We want, uh, we want to not lose that joint integrity by way of having good strong muscles. And strength and mobility, they really feed off of one another. And if we want to get more mobile, then we have to make sure our strength is up. If we want to get stronger, we want to make sure we don't lose any mobility. And that's sort of the tug of war that we got to keep on playing with ourselves. That's going to come from diversifying our training a whole lot and not just focusing on four or six lifts in the gym and getting as strong as we can and the heaviest we can of those lifts. That's really important because uh, I usually am a, I'm, I am proponent of uh, not stretching in the way that, okay, let's, let's stay in a specific position, just stretch the muscle because we know that when we stretch the muscle, it becomes weaker, right? And we yep. know that actually the nervous system your your body doesn't wake up one day and says, oh, you know what? Your tricep is going to be really stiff at this moment. It's going to have more tone if we can use that because also a lot of people are going to uh, start uh, spitting out words that they don't like. Um, so I would say this is a compensatory mechanism that starts from your cerebellum to actually protect you in a way. So it's not about stretching the muscle. It's about seeing the assessment you did before. Is it a compensatory mechanism? Is it because you pulled more, so you didn't focus so much on the movement, but just on pulling weight, so right. you strained something? Is it because the other side is weak? Have you done any unilateral work, which a lot of people avoid? Um, right. Stuff like that. I don't know what's your opinion on that. No, I agree 100%. And like, I just don't want the message that I'm saying here to get misconstrued. I believe flexibility is important. I believe mobility is more important. I think flexibility is something that we have to apply tactically when we do apply it. So what I mean by that is when you stretch a muscle, people will always think, okay, I'm going to put my heel on top of this chair or whatever and stretch my hamstrings. Okay, cool. So you stretch your hamstrings. Number one, what you said about, you know, lowering the neural involvement, for example, and weakening the muscle tissue and so on, that's a thing. And we have to watch out for that. And if we're going to use it, we have to use it at the right time so that we know what we're doing and why we're doing that. Um, aside from that, though, we're not only stretching the muscle belly when we're stretching something, right? We're also stretching connective tissue. We're stretching nerve. We're stretching vein and artery. We're stretching fascia. We're stretching all sorts of other things that we might not, if we're thinking about it, want to actually be stretching out and lengthening that way or loosening. So with that said, and we're restricting blood flow as well at the same time. So said, is that the direction we always want to go with things? Um, well, I can think of different scenarios in which a static stretch might do me very good in terms of a training world. But at the same time, I can think of that many more where it's not exactly the way that we should think about it and the way that we should apply it. Um, for most general population people, they'll look at stretching as the way to loosen up and open up and fix everything and so on. And it's not the answer, right? So, um, I like to say this, and it usually gets people to think about things from a totally different perspective, right? We have this tug of war and this tension or balance of structural balance, so this tension on either side of a load-bearing joint in order to keep that joint centrated properly and to mm -hmm. keep your posture up and whatnot. So think about it this way. You got an old, decrepit person who walks around like this and so on. People will say, oh, they're tight. They've got to open up. They've got to loosen up. They've got to get their chest muscles. Old people don't need to get looser. Old people Strong. need to get tighter, yeah. right? They need to get yeah. more tonicity in the back of the muscles. Those weak muscles that aren't doing their job to centrate the joints and give them the posture they want and help them stand straight and walk around properly and so on, that's what they really need is to get tighter.
So when we think of changing our perspective like that and realize that a tight muscle or what appears to be a tight muscle, for lack of a better term, is probably the product of other weak muscles instead, well, this is what's going to start changing that perspective and balance in order for us to get the proper structural balance and the proper joint integrity and the mobility and all that other stuff that we need to regain in order to be functional again. So that's the way that I sort of like to approach it. And flexibility is a very convoluted topic, to be honest with you, compared to just describing mobility and how to achieve it. Flexibility is something we got to really, really pick and choose when we want to fight that battle and uh, how tactically we want to apply it in order to uh, help us for it to help us in our workouts. What's about tickling the dragon's tail? It, it always needs to be, you need to be extra careful, especially with uh, either people that are coming back from an injury, because that's another thing I want to, another topic I want to, you've been an athlete and you, you have been, you know, you've been through that. And that's the, that's why I really appreciate everything you write, because you've been through all that pain and all that, you know, kind of, you feel that, is that it? Am I going to, well, that's my career or I'm not going to be an athlete anymore. Uh, but I always say that well, when you come back from an injury, you're a different biological person. There's a protection, you know, there's protection from that joint or that uh, articulation or that muscle that your body always going to inhibit. If you're a fast twitch player or um, in a competition, you're always, it's going to be a second thought. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. What's, what's your take? What's your strategy to actually clear that and clear the path for that person to just optimize performance or optimize health? Well, you know, it's tough because if there are things that are sort of uh, breaking them or sorry, so that are sort of setting them back from a mental perspective, especially if they had an injury in the past, you know, then it's, you know, we get into a conversation that might even involve sports psychology, right? And uh, whether or not, like we can do so much as trainers to sort of motivate them and give them the confidence that we can uh, through ingraining good patterns and a background of great training with great technique and things that they might have accomplished in practice or in a training session that now can translate to much more confidence while they're actually doing the thing that might have gotten them injured in the first place right so there's definitely that uh, it, it emboldens them to really make their uh, make their movements of quality and give them a, a good quality sort of like output for the actual time that it matters etc right if they're approaching a heavy lift or if they're approaching uh, a long jump or a sprinting event or whatever it is, um, you know, just giving them that sort of peace of mind that all the stuff that you worked so hard for in the gym that might have even exceeded what the demands are of this actual event that you're about to compete in, um, these kinds of things can give them a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, give them a little Trust. bit more confidence. Well, right? Yeah. And, and so that's 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 the number one. I always sort of put it right back on the training and the hard work that they've put into it. Um, speaking personally, not only as an, a guy who injured hamstrings and all kinds of when I was back in my early 20s running track and doing jumps and so on, uh, I remember I slid on the, the, the takeoff board one time. My foot got caught and then it wrenched my knee and hyperextended. So that put me out. I was afraid of the long jump takeoff board for months after that months and months i'd run down down the track and then as soon as i reached the takeoff board four steps away i'd be slow 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 and then, and then i take off and my jump was terrible right so that was a huge hurdle that i had to overcome then i had hamstring stuff that happened while i was running track and so on so that was a big setback as well you know fast forward to well after i stopped running and well into my career as a trainer um, I had one of the most devastating knee injuries that you could possibly imagine to both of my 
my niece. And so there was a huge comeback story that was involved with that. Um, and, you know, put me in a wheelchair, completely immobilized for, for months. So that, uh, that those kind of hurdles, A, anecdotally, I can speak from personal experience when I know what it's like for someone to be sidelined or to be afraid of trying that next PR or trying that next heavy lift or going back into strength training or doing this thing that might be actually compromising the area that is tender for you right now, right? It's very sensitive stuff. And um, so I just, for me, myself, I always relied on, okay, you know what? I've done this before. You know what? I've put in the work to earn the fact that I'm here right now, making this attempt and doing it under a safe pretense and doing it in a controlled environment, a controlled system. There's not a freak situation that can happen unless a freak situation situation happens, right? So this is going to make this set very successful for me. And I'm confident about that. On the flip side, if I go into a set with poor confidence for that day or whatever, guess what? I'm stepping back. I'm stepping back. So you have to have the right mindset. Feedback always, yes. Exactly, right? And you have to know know when to draw the line. So it's not about trying to be a hero, but it's also about trusting your technique, your training, and so on. And mentally speaking, just knowing that you're in the right place to attempt this as well. If you're not, don't do it and try it another day. Yeah, uh, when people say no pain, no gain, I'm not a big fan of that, actually. Uh, it's all about, I, uh, I, I, we'll never forget that. I used to um, uh, had a mentor. He was uh, one of the most well-decorated Olympic lifters and uh, coaching weightlifters in Greece. And I remember uh, one Olympic lifter went to grab the bar and he said, step back. And I was like, what? And he said, it took him a lot more to go towards the bar than he usually takes him. So he wasn't ready. Mm. And I was like, okay, fair point actually. And yeah. when, when, when I asked the guy, I was like, you know, I always want to find out what happened. He's like, yeah, I was thinking about the lift. I was thinking about the lift and uh, how important is that about being mentally there? Um, you said about the injuries, what would be a step-by-step? Like what, how did you overcome that? As you said, I was running as fast as I could, but when I got there, I started slowing down. What was, was it a coach? Was it a, was it you? What, what was it that helped you to next, like, as you said, months and months after you just went, you know what? I'm going to jump now. I'm going to do this. No, it definitely, it wasn't, it wasn't a split kind of like instant change. It was definitely something that happened over the course of time gradually and just reintroducing myself to the feeling of what a successful version of that jump should feel like again. Right. And so, uh, no, I'm not going to slip on the board this time. And so it happens. And then I only jump five meters, but I did it, you know, and then I'm not going to slip on the board. And then I do, I jump six meters this time, but I did it, you know, and so on. And so until I got back to my normal distances. So it was one of those things where I sort of just like, you know, I edge my way towards what I used to be, but it had to come through repetition. It had to come from the right mental attitude and so on and being patient too. Right. And, um, you know, I would think that if that happened to me today at 33, almost 34, uh, compared to when it happened to me at 21, you know, that it would probably take (laughs) even longer for me to sort of get back to that place. Right. Just because, you know, I yeah, like I, I'm a believer that, you know, as the older you get, the more stuff's on your mind, the more stuff's in your mind, the more scenarios you'll create and so on, because you've lived longer. Right. And so, um, you know, for that reason, I think that um, it's just very important to take an easy and slow and steady approach toward these things. And that's what you're going to get uh, the best result from it. Um, uh, on that note as well, I'll tell you something is that in the gym, you know, I'll say this. I have a little rule for myself where I don't 
and I'm not a big power lifter or strong, like I, I'm not about that really. But um, if I am training really heavy and I am attempting a PR, a max effort, I want to lift the most that I've lifted in my life or whatever for a given lift in a certain workout. I'm, I'm going to make sure that that workout happens at the gym that I'm most comfortable at with the space in the space in that squat cage that I'm the most comfortable at in my with my favorite bar in my favorite outfit when I squat in with my best shoes on with my good shoes on all the stuff, you know, and it doesn't have to get into superstitious stuff at all. It's just you have to be in your comfort zone on every level possible. Right. So I'm not going to go to, you know, the L.A. fitness downtown Toronto or something like that, that I'm only going to get a guest pass at for the day and try to squat 435. Like that's I'm not going to go home. Right. <laughs> exactly. I got to be comfortable. I got to be in my comfortable habitat, man. And so, uh, you know, find that bar, find that rack, find that that positioning that you like, all that stuff. And then it's just going to be, it's going to help with that environment. It's sort of like the example that you gave with the Olympic weightlifter and how you could tell, the person could tell that he didn't have his mind in it quite yet. He was thinking about too much, right? You want to have this sort of, this sort of position right here where you're kind of like this and you're even keel and you're ready to do what you got to do. And there's no distractions that are coming in around you. And uh, that's, what's going to give you the best performance, at least in my experience. So I, I, I really encourage that kind of thinking for a lot of people out there. That's a very important uh, note there, because uh, a lot of people, you know, when something goes wrong, they always check, oh, where my macros weren't right or this wasn't right. And you're like, dude, just go back. Like there's, there could be something in your mind. You didn't sleep well. There's yep. so many variables all the time because this mechanism is such a dynamic uh, like me mechanism change all the time. So there can be so many variables that can actually uh, inhibit your performance. And that's why. You've seen it as an athlete, everything needs to be on point when you're actually doing something. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, the, it's all about that consistency. As long as the consistency is there in terms of how, listen, you talk to anybody, I'm a long jumper, I was a long jumper as, as part of my events, and you talk to anybody, you watch their run-up, you watch their, their warm-up, their approach, the whole thing, it's like people can imitate you doing it because of how many times you do the same thing over and over. You take your stride, then you back up, then you take your stride, and then you take off and so on. It takes you this many steps and then you do this. It's, it's a routine, right? And because of the fact that you've done that so many times, it just, it's embedded into your code by the time, you know, you're, you're a master at it, you know? And that's, that's the way that it really should be. And I don't think that training for performance should be any different either, right? So if we're lifting for heavy weight or we're trying to get stronger or whatever, these are feats of performance that we're performing. This is just our new playground. It's the gym. And so from that, we have to make sure that we're doing the same right things and we're following that routine so that we're staying like this and there's not too much to distract us from that. Would you say, though, that we want we, – um... Because my motto generally is, um, I'm writing actually now uh, an article about dear consistency, like a letter to consistency, because I say it in myself. So I believe that people are saying, I don't, I don't like routine. And you're like, people biologically are craving for routine. Hmm. Okay. It fills you more stable in numerous things. Like when people say, oh, I don't like routine. I was like, okay, today you're going to get paid. Tomorrow, we'll see. How right. about that? <laughs> um, and it's the same thing as at the gym because I, I always say that strength is money in the bank. You get stronger in an efficient way. It's like having money in the bank. Yep. You can do anything you want almost, right? Yep. But you get to a point when if you don't actually repeat as an athlete a or a, a gym goer a specific uh, movement, 
which is efficient mm-hmm. and is not inhibiting something else, like it will increase a compensatory mechanism, and you're repeating that, that will fall into injuries or whatever, or not a PB. When you find that movement, as you said, you know, the stride, I'm going to come up, f- fall back, which is close to perfect. There's nothing perfect, but efficient. Yep. You need to find that and repeat it over and over again. So the engrams of your body are there for that yep. efficient movement. 100%. I agree with that completely. And again, it's just going to come from practice through repetition and repetition and repetition. And, you know, again, going back to the age thing, the younger someone is when they're getting introduced to these kinds of things, the easier it is for you to never lose it. You know, if you're returning, like if I was to go back to the track and I get out there and I do some sprint work and so on for conditioning and stuff. But if I was to go back to the track and try to really duplicate all that stuff it would probably be harder for me to re-catch it or catch on to the, the groove that I was in way back then. There's a lot of things. You've practiced a million other movements by this point. You've spent time away from it, you know, and there's going to be elements of the deep coordination, that the, that deep sort of uh, neuromuscular coordination and kinesthetic awareness that you had that you don't have anymore. And it's about getting it back and building it back. So from a track perspective, that shows that if you don't use it, then you lose it a little bit, right? Yeah. So from a weight training perspective as well, well, if you're not practicing these patterns, these mo- those movement patterns, and you're not, you know, if you're not thinking about, you know, uh, challenging those patterns at some point during your your year, even when you're training and, and doing a strength training phase and looking at your squat pattern and looking at your hinge pattern and so on, well, you know, you're not going to be that great at it. And it's not going to get stronger. Or it's not going to remain strong even. You have to make sure that you're sort of covering all your bases. And we had a chat the other day. And I, 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 I love when you write. And you're a really gifted uh, writer and a gifted coach because you can see that we've got coaches and we've got entertainers using all the nice gadgets and garments and whatever. I'm an old school go back to the basics when you get the basics right okay let's try something different and but again around the basics um what's your case now what's something that you actually uh don't really like from what how things are evolving in a way um hmm. are we talking about products here or are we talking about uh, something else I don't want to go to products because uh, I think I'm, uh, demons are going to start coming out of my mouth. Because if I hear another person wants to squat on a Bosu ball, I think I'm going <laughs> to blow my head out. You know, like it's. So I think that, well, first of all, products like there's always going to be a new fitness gimmicky kind of product that's out there. So we, we know that already. Um, as far as here's the thing, as far as strength and conditioning world goes. Um, it's funny, I'm wearing a T-Nation shirt right now. I wrote an article for T-Nation, or I was asked to contribute to an article for T-Nation that was talking about the most overrated fitness trends that were existing in fitness as we know it. And so everybody said their thing, you know, maybe the corset sort of thing and, you know, uh, blood flow restriction training and how people don't really think there's anything used to that. Some people said dietary stuff as well and different trendy fad-based diets. Um, my answer was actually strength training. And here's why. The reason why is because strength training or the strength and conditioning world seems to place a whole lot more of of an emphasis on the strength part of that, even though there's two different facets to it, you know. And so the conditioning aspect and the idea of diversifying training for all the things we've really spoken about for the last 40 minutes here, um, it is it's sort of it's put lower on the list of importance when it shouldn't be, you know, strength training 
there are 11 aspects of fitness, health and skill related fitness, you know, strength is one of those aspects, you know, agility, balance, coordination, power, speed, reaction time, you name it, all those other things need to get trained in some capacity in order for us to be a well-rounded, healthy and fit person. That includes body composition as well. That includes cardiorespiratory capacity. Those things, if you're going to say, okay, I can deadlift 900, but my waist measurement is 48 inches and my, and my body fat percentage is 37 or something like that. It's like, well, cost benefit, risk reward. What is the real, is there a law of diminishing returns that's playing its part here? Should we really focus on getting stronger in that deadlift? Or do you think the amount of time, probably the amount of injuries we've probably accrued over the course of getting that 900 pound deadlift, is that worth it? You know, how much less functional in life or less capable or how much less longevity would you get if you could only deadlift 400 pounds, but you could do this, 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 and this, and this, and this at the same time as well in other areas of fitness, because that 900 pound deadlifter with a 37, 37% uh, body fat and a 48 inch waist, well, yeah, they can deadlift the 900, but tell them to jog one mile and see what happens, right? So uh, tell, ask them what their joints feel like on a day-to-day -day basis. We have to play the game the proper That's way and realize that only strength training is not the way to go here. It's important. It might even be the most important, but it's not the only thing. So once yeah. you've sort of put that money in the bank, like you said, and you've got the investment and you have that that base of foundation and you know you're strong and you can move hundreds of pounds in several directions over your head and away from your chest and pull it toward you off the floor and squat it up and so on. Well, guess what? You graduated. You can do other things and you've earned the right to be able to do other things where strength is a piece of the pie now and it's still there. But there are other things that you got to focus on. So me personally, you know, I deadlift five something. I squat four something. I, I bench three something. These are good numbers. And I did that all after that injury happened I told you about as well. So my, my numbers are looking pretty good. Guess what I'm focused on these days? Calisthenics, body weight stuff. I want to master my body weight and make sure that I'm mobile and strong through all kinds of different angles. I know that at 200 and 32 pounds, which is what I am right now, down from 270 almost, by the way, that I still have things that I cannot do with my body weight that I want to master, you know? And if that means that, you know, dropping body fat, for example, is one of the things that uh, would benefit me in these regards, then I'm going to do that, you know? And my lifts and the numbers there, they're still pretty damn good. So I'm going to keep that there. And so the approach that I'm taking is a lot more holistic, a lot more rounded, and I'm trying to sort oh, of attack yeah. lots of different areas of my fitness. So I'm doing my cardio these days. I'm doing elliptical and rowing machine and all that. One day I want to try Pilates out. I really do. And I want to see how hard that is for a guy like me, because it's probably going to kill me. So it's, that's my if it challenges you and also it's going to help you, because I know you're not a bias trainer because there are a lot of bias trainers. I, I like this. My client's going to do that. When you're actually saying, oh, like, I love body weight and I started like calisthenics like few, uh, six years ago. And that's why I loved the type of CrossFit because it, it encompasses a lot of things that you need to be good at. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying CrossFit as a brand. I'm just saying that, that high intensity interval training and, you know, bringing Olympic lifting, which I loved and all that. And that's really important what you're saying, because you're actually experimenting now that you've got the capacity and you've got the strength in order to do that safely. 
Right, exactly. And uh, that's the, you earn the right. You earn the right to train for higher reps, for example. You earn the right to train in different planes of force. You earn the right to use different uh, variables or variable, different variations of exercises and so on because you've got the basics down, Pat, and you got strong at them and you, you're doing them well. So guess what? Now you can move on to the next thing for a new challenge. And, um, you know, if somebody's looking for some kind of results as well in terms of their fitness improving, then it's worth noting that if you got really good at squats enough to squat 900 pounds or whatever, or deadlift 800 pounds or whatever, you know, you have to understand that efficiency is kind of a killer for more gains, if that makes sense, in the sense of if you get really good at something and you've mastered a pattern and you've got the physics right down to a T and it's an art and you can move that weight and get your body around it perfectly, well, that's great for the purposes of that lift. But now it's going to take you less energy for every rep and for every set and so on because you don't have a struggle that you have to do in finding your positioning and rebalancing and recalibrating this and that as you go along, right? Um, it's something Dan John talks about a whole lot. You want to find movements that you kind of suck at and that's what's going to get you better faster, right? So um, I'm always on that, that sort of search nowadays. I want to get killed by an exercise. Not that it does me in, but I want it to really, really work me. And I, I want the exercise to win and me not the one winning by killing all the weights, right? So that's the way that I like to approach it. And I think that uh, it's sort of a, a real reason behind a lot of the results I've gotten so far in the last uh, nine or so months. That's a, that's an amazing uh, like amazing way of thinking. Uh, thank God it's not uh, we're, we're a lot out there that actually do that because think that challenge you actually change uh, change you in a in a better way and uh, they make a better person a better coach because when you see that you suck in something uh, it can be devastating. You're like or you can quit or you can say you know what I'm gonna master this right. I know you're busy. Last question that I actually, I think it's, we need to appreciate some people in our lives and how like coach Lee or Lee, how, which are some people that mentored you in one way or another or helped you to become who you are today? Um, okay. So let me see here. The first person that comes to mind is my first trainer that I ever had. And uh, I'm not talking about when I was an athlete. I'm talking about in the fitness industry, first personal trainer. I was a trainer who hired a personal trainer. And uh, as a side note, I highly encourage any young trainer who wants to develop, who wants to learn. This is a step that I think is invaluable to your progress is, you know, respected trainers out there. You look up to them, get them to work with you, get them to train you directly. Perfect. Get the yeah. If you have goals in the gym, help them, have them help you to reach them and the influence they're going to have over you, the things you're going to be able to soak in and the new methods you'll be able to learn and ask questions during that hour and so on, it's going to be a game changer. So I hired a trainer and I'd say that that guy was the first person that uh, comes to mind in terms of uh, having a huge step, uh, pushing me in the right direction as far as learning my stuff. So that was number one. Um, and then there's a lot of writers and people who I really looked up to who I'm very happy to call friends of mine these days, um, whose information I just consumed like crazy. Guys like Tony Gentlecore, Dan John, uh, Chad Waterbury's articles were great, Nick Tominello, all those kinds of people. Mark Ripto's work for starting strength, the books 
series. Um, that Bible. is still my go-to in terms of learning the fundamentals and the physical principles of moving heavy weights uh, in the big primal movement patterns. They're it's fantastically written. So, um, you know, these are the people who I sort of looked up to the most, uh, Mike Robertson, Dan John, all those kinds of names. Uh, and I could go on with a long list there, but um, these, are, these are the prime influencers for me. Uh, Lee, I know that uh, we will see you in Europe, hopefully in London and in Greece soon when things go back to normal. That'd be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I really appreciate your time and uh, actually the, the, the things you've been doing for the industry, uh, always making a difference, always trying to make it better. I appreciate and that. I, thank you so much, man. No problem. I, uh, I look forward to uh, getting out to Europe and hopefully uh, spreading the word out there. And um, yeah, otherwise, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing up until that point. Always, always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully see you soon when everything goes back to normal. That's right, man. See you soon. See you.